Hello and thank you for joining us again for our worship today, 22nd of May. Uh, in two days' time, oddly enough, it'll be the 24th of May, which is celebrated as the day when John Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed and had that conversion experience in Aldersgate. So today's called Aldersgate Sunday and we will be taking note of that and we'll be sharing some things relating to that later on as well as using some of John Wesley's prayers and Charles Wesley's hymns. But first, a call to worship. Revelation chapter 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. While we wait in hope for that final revelation of God in his splendour, we can enter into that place of light today, whatever our circumstances. The gates are wide open always and we can always walk in and worship God. May God help us to welcome him into the temples of our physical bodies where he dwells by his spirit. Let's sing the song, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. For you alone are God eternal, 
As I said, today is Aldersgate Sunday, so it seems a good idea to use some of John Wesley's prayers in our service. Here's a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of confession. O Lord God Almighty, Father of angels, men and women, we praise and bless your holy name for all your goodness and loving kindness to humanity. We bless you for our creation, preservation and for your unceasing generosity to us throughout our lives. But above all, we bless you for your great love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you for bringing us safe to the beginning of a new day. 
Grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger. Keep us, we pray, from all things hurtful to body or soul, and grant us your pardon and peace, so that being cleansed from all our sins we might serve you with quiet hearts and minds, and continue in the same until our life's end. Through Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Redeemer. Amen. O merciful Father, do not consider what we've done against you, but what our blessed Saviour has done for us. Don't consider what we've made of ourselves, but what he is making of us for you, our God. Oh, that Christ may be wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption to every one of our souls. May his precious blood cleanse us from all our sins and your Holy Spirit renew and sanctify our souls. May he crucify our flesh with its passion and lusts and cleanse all our brothers and sisters in Christ across the earth. Amen. remembering the conversion of the Wesleys and that makes me remember my own conversion. John and Charles Wesley were very devout Anglican ministers, zealous in seeking to serve God, yet they knew there was something lacking. This was brought to a head when they sailed to North America in 1735. They were enthused at the idea of preaching the gospel to Native American people. But as John Wesley later commented, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Who, what is he that will deliver me from this evil heart of unbelief? Amazing, really, as an Anglican minister that he was saying those kinds of things. During the voyage, the ship was struck by a terrible storm. John was afraid for his life. He was at a service with a group of German Moravians when a huge wave engulfed the ship and water poured down into the cabins. While the English passengers screamed in terror, the Moravians continued singing, men and women, children, seemingly untroubled. Later he asked one of the Moravians if they hadn't been afraid. He replied that not even the women and children had been afraid. None of them were afraid to die. John knew that they had something he didn't, an absolute trust in God. They were prepared to lose their lives because they knew that God was never going to let them go. Just a, as a little aside, the Moravians are a fascinating people. They played a major part in Wesley's conversion. They were from an area which at that time in the 18th century was German, but is now part of Czechia, the Czech Republic. They were an amazing missionary people who founded churches in many distant parts of the world. Some years ago, we visited Leh in Ladakh, or Little Tibet as it's called, in the north of India. There's a thriving Moravian church, and the descendants of the man who first translated the Bible into Tibetan and founded the church are still there, the Gergans. 
actually lent, lent us a car to travel around in and we've got a couple of drawings by Isaac Gergen one of the distant great grandsons I suppose sitting in our uh, in our living room it's the only place we've been where there was a trilingual service in English Hindi and Ladakhi anyway back to the story John was deeply impressed his time in America was unsuccessful in many ways and he and Charles returned home after two years. All the time John was nagged by the thought that he didn't have full faith in God but this was about to change. Still heavily influenced by the Moravians they met with in London. The Wesleys joined in a religious society and in May 1738 uh, both underwent a profound spiritual experience. Charles a few days before John. John famously described this in his journal for the 24th of May 1738. In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That building in Aldersgate now has a commemorative plaque. There isn't one on the building where I was converted, the Empire Theatre in Liverpool, although my experience was just as important and profound to me. On the 18th of October 1966, I'd just entered sixth form, and on my way home from school, I heard one of my friends trying to persuade someone to come to an event that evening. I listened in and I heard the magic words, some of the girls from church will be there. I was in an all-boys school, so I was pretty desperate. I heard the arrangements being made. Meet outside the Punch and Judy at Lime Street Station at 7 o'clock. And as I got off the bus, I said, I'll see you tonight. OK, said Steve, without thinking. And then, as I went down the bus, he turned and said, Really? I said, Yeah. Apparently he rang round all his friends in church asking for prayer that I wouldn't come or at least I wouldn't be disruptive. I'm afraid that's the kind of reputation I had in those days. But quite the contrary, as I heard the gospel message for the first time, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Well, rather shivers went right through me. At the appeal, I was up like a shot and became a Christian that night probably around quarter past nine, about half an hour later than Wesley. The evangelist Eric Hutchins looked more like a bank manager than anything else, but God's word through him was really powerful. Now, I had no thought of God. I'd never read the Bible. The Wesleys were ordained ministers, derided as members of a holy club in Oxford for their intensity in seeking God. Yet we both met Jesus in exactly the same way and we both needed to be converted. However long it is that you've been in the church, you need to challenge yourself. Have I met with Jesus in that way?
Do I have that assurance of salvation that John Wesley received that night? Has your heart been strangely warmed by the touch of the Spirit? Let's listen to a passage from Romans which was at the heart of what Wesley experienced Romans, that chapter night. Five. Romans chapter 5 verse Therefore, to 11. since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now let's listen to a Charles Wesley hymn responding to that experience of God's grace, one of the really great hymns that he wrote. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise.
Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John's Gospel was the last to be written and it's very different from the other three. Some of the events of Jesus' life are out of chronological order and several of the miracles recorded are unique to John's Gospel. There are many lengthy passages of Jesus' teaching that we don't read about anywhere else. It's dense with important content and information, much of which is recorded in the form of sayings or conversations. It's really the sort of thing that needs to be read slowly and read frequently. John explains towards the end of his gospel that he's selected material from what he says would be enough to fill the world with books. And he selected it in order to confirm his readers in their faith that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. Remember the gospels were originally written to believers, to people who'd had a real experience of God in their lives, who had, like John and Charles Wesley and me, had their hearts strangely warmed and received an, an inner certainty of God's presence, his power, his love. John's task was to enable them to have a fuller understanding of what they believed and to reinforce their inner certainty of the truth. At the time when John was writing, persecution was increasing and martyrdom was a reality for many. So when in this chapter he twice records the words of Jesus, let not your hearts be troubled, he was speaking to people for whom troubled hearts were a fact of life. But aren't they also for us? Show me someone who lives an untroubled life. And I'll show you someone who either doesn't think or doesn't feel. As Christians, our faith in Christ sustains us, or rather Christ by his spirit sustains us through faith. But all the language in the New Testament letters and so much of the experiences which go into the writings of the Old Testament Psalms are experiences of pain, of doubt, of suffering, of fear. When the Bible talks about us being the kind of people who overcome, it's pretty obvious that there must be something to overcome. On a personal level, we lose loved ones, we suffer illnesses, we endure disappointments in relationships and in families. And that's before we even look at the world, the wars, the greed of the rich and the suffering of the poor the destruction of the planet, how can our hearts not be troubled? 
I've always loved blues and early gospel music, music which came out of the experiences of African Americans under slavery and persecution. Those singers and musicians knew how to express a troubled heart. Their longing was often expressed in the same terms that we see at the start of this chapter, the first time Jesus says it. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. We're very familiar with those words from funeral services. But that was so meaningful to the writers of those early gospel songs. I've got a home in that rock. This train is bound for glory. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Whatever our present pains, there is a future hope. But what of the present? What does Jesus say to us? Of course, he calls us to believe. You believe in God, believe also in me. But what are the specific areas we should think about to grow our faith and to gain that assurance that God is truly with us and will bring us through? The assurance that Wesley talked about. In our passage today, there are three promises, all beginning with P. I pray that each one will speak to us and encourage us to teach our hearts to be untroubled. First promise, the first P is the presence of God. Verse 23 says this, Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. I suppose some people have bad memories of the homes they grew up in. I'm thankful that I experienced a warm upbringing. As I reflect on God making his home with me, I think of my childhood home. It was a place of security, a place of relationships with parents and the wider family, a place of love and support. What a home should be and what Jesus means when he talks about God making his home with us. It was also a place of discipline. Gosh, my mum could be scary. And my parents had no problem leaving me to cry my eyes out when I needed to learn a lesson. They didn't always jump to it whenever I wanted something. I had to learn to wait, to be patient, to grow up. Does any of that ring a bell in terms of living in God's family? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 quotes the book of Proverbs. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Sometimes our hearts can be troubled because we're wandering away from God. And frankly, we need to be brought back. But the place to which God wants to bring us back is home. It's a place where he lives in us and with us. And where, as with the prodigal son, there's always a welcome, a meal and a warm fire. Our second P is in verses 25 and 26, the prompting 
of the Spirit. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Actually, there's a clue here why we can trust the words of Jesus, which John records. The Spirit brings things back to our minds. What are some of the things we can rely on the Holy Spirit to prompt us about? Well, first of all, of course, the words of Jesus, what the Bible says. Remember how during his temptations, Jesus quoted scripture at the devil. Psalm 119 verse 11 was one of the first verses I learned when I became a Christian. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Read the Bible every day. Think about what it says to you. Memorise key verses. They'll be there ready for the Spirit's prompting when we need them. The second thing the Spirit reminds us of is our past experiences of God. It's good to be reminded that God has brought us through difficult times. The Old Testament is full of passages where the prophets, the psalmists and other writers remind Israel of what God has done for them. What can you remember of God's past grace? Take some time to think it over. And the third thing he reminds us of, he prompts us about, of course, is our present blessings. Psalm 103 is a great psalm. It starts like this. I'm reading it from the message version because I just like it. Oh, my soul, bless God. From head to toe, I'll bless his holy name. Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, everyone. He heals your diseases, everyone. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. Wow. Thankfulness is a great remedy for a troubled heart. And then we read about the third of our P's, the peace of Christ. Verse 27, Jesus says this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. I don't give to you as the world gives. How does the world give? Grudgingly, very often. Counting the cost, expecting something in return, temporarily. How does Christ give? Wholeheartedly, generously, without criticism or complaint. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. And then verse 17 emphasises this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. He does not change like shifting shadows. God's 
generosity, God's giving to us is permanent and without any shifting. What kind of peace does Christ give? Well, not the absence of war. There's a constant war going on in our lives. Not smooth, unbroken seas to sail on. But the most important peace we can receive. In Romans 5, we read that we have peace with God. What does that mean? Well, we're no longer at war with God. We trust him to order our lives in the way which will bring us the greatest benefit and enable us to become like him. We're freed from guilt. How much peace we lose through the nagging thoughts of times 